Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of northern Sweden where I have a good friend of mine together with us again, uh, Rabbi Miles Weiss, who is here to talk about some of the developments that have been happening in the Middle East as they relate to Israel, the place that we have been praying for for quite a while. Hey, Miles, are you there, bro? I am here. Great. It is so great to hear from you. Uh, we've been talking for a little bit. Uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to get to do this podcast with you today because of our challenge with internet where I'm at right now, but I'm so glad that we're able to talk. I think that it's divine. I think that the timing is perfect uh, because of the things that are happening in the world today. Yeah, I think uh, I'm always glad to speak to you, but I, I think that uh, we are... Uh, breaking ground here with a wall-to-wall podcast from the Great Wall of China to the Western Wall of Jerusalem. And I think that uh, we're in a unique moment in time right now. Some of the things we're talking about, the the above-ground version of military expansion and political alignments and the undercurrent of spiritual realities that are behind the scenes, kind of heaven behind the headlines. Yeah, you know, the last time that you and I talked and we did a podcast together, it was was about... uh, the U.S., specifically President Donald Trump, that recognized Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. Now we have seen that the world has basically stood up against this declaration by the United States. And one of those members in the United Nations community that has been one of the louder voices has been China. Yes. It was 178, uh, they had a resolution, 178 voted against Trump, uh, 35 abstentions, and nine voted, voted with the U.S. and said, yes, we'll do it. And then afterwards, there's been a flurry of nations saying, well, we're considering moving our embassy as well, which Net- Prime Minister Netanyahu said would happen. Uh, it's been a trickle, of course, because of, I believe, because of biblical realities behind the scenes. But it's fascinating to watch China uh because of, as we were talking earlier, because of their uh, desire for, now I'm speaking not of the underground church or the believers in China, we know there's about, probably 150 million, but the, the, the Chinese government and economic expansionist view, uh, just like the British many, many decades ago sided with the Arabs because of oil, the Chinese now are looking at the wealth in the Muslim world uh, in order to expand their um, gosh, virtual hegemony that's going to come into the into Asia and around surrounding. You were just with me um, last month uh, in Shanghai, and we were we were going to some of the more popular, more well known areas of of Shanghai, and you saw the expression of unity that China was trying to display between China and Israel. I know that that was very moving for you. 
How does that jive with what you are seeing now with China's foreign minister making declarations about a four-point peace process and going back to the 1967 borders and making East Jerusalem the capital for the Palestinian people, basically standing on the side of the anti-Jewish regime? Well, that's a really that's a good uh, opening and a good question because uh, you know, as as a Jewish person, pro Israel and pro what God is doing in the Middle East, um, it, it's I'm used to watching for nations and leaders of nations in a sense uh, colloquialism speaking out of both sides of their mouth. My grandmother used to say when a world event would happen in the headlines, she would get it in a Yiddish paper and it would be interpreted into English, and we would talk about it in home. And she'd say, essentially, okay, so this has happened in the world. Is this good for the Jews or bad for the Jews? Because we kind of know that having been uh, persecuted and exiled from every nation on earth, that now that our own place, that the, the persecution is going to come against Israel, and the nations are going to line up according to biblical prophecy. But we'll watch along the way that nations will, as I said, speak on both sides of their mouth. So on the one hand, it was very encouraging to see uh, this Israel, this Sino-Israeli connection that we saw in the uh, conference and the the um, restaurant, the, the expositions that were going on in Shanghai, and all of this wonderful connection about the hope so and the potential economic uh, mutuality that's coming between China and Israel. But, as you pointed out, and as we know, behind the scenes, there is this underlying desire for Muslim favor from the wealthy Muslim countries so that China can expand it economically, and that causes them to both look to be appearing to side with Israel, but also fundamentally, in a strong way, stand with the Palestinian movement, the two-state solution, which, uh, if you can get into this, but the two-state solution, as stated the last 30, 40 years, is a no the lose-lose situation, no real peace process that has taken place. It was last April, I think, that the Chinese foreign minister, Wang Yi, met with Riyadh al-Malki in Beijing. Riyadh al-Malki is his counterpart, foreign minister for the PLO, or now a PAA. And they met, and they supported fully the return to the pre 1960s and East Jerusalem as the capital of the Palestinian state, which has tremendous implications for any Jewish person in Israel, any visitor to Israel, and frankly for Christians from around the world, because the Christian holy sites would then come under the governance and the administration of Muslims, and that means that there could be repression and a lack of freedom. Well, I know that China has expressed, not just China, the president, President Xi, has laid out four points to his peace process that he would like to propose for Israel and Palestine. And it, because China really does see this as a chance, as does Russia. So basically what you have now is a little bit of jostling between Russia and China to present themselves as the ultimate peace broker. Because as you heard, the, the Muslim world has basically, especially with the Turkish president Erdogan, he basically said that the U.S. is no longer capable of being a broker because they've shown themselves biased, as if somehow Turkey and, and the, 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 the rest of the world is not showing any bias here. But 
we have China laying out President Xi specifically laying out four points. And I'm going to point out those four points and you don't have to address them all. But if you just if you would just speak on one or two of them that might jump out to you uh, and, and, and kind of translate, because this is this is what I'm going to be reading to you is political jargon. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to shorten down these these right. four points into very, very basic concepts. But point number one. And their four points of President Xi is to uh, return back to the 1967 borders where East Jerusalem would be the capital of a new Palestinian state. That's point number one. Point number two is to immediately stop all Israeli settlements and take immediate measures to prevent violence against civilians. Uh, point number three is to coordinate an international effort to put forward peace-promoting measures that entail joint participation at the earliest possible date. And point number three is promoting, or point number four, and this one is the most important for the Chinese. Basically, everything kind of comes up to point number four. This is the one that really is what China is getting at. Point number four is promoting peace through development and cooperation between Palestinians and Israel, uh, which can basically be translated into uh, promoting peace so that we can do business. So out of those yeah, four points, one. Yeah. Uh, we'll work all the way backwards. Please. Yeah. Well, the, the, that's the, the essential behind-the-scenes uh, military, political, and economic force that's at work. Now, we know beneath that and at a deeper level, there are some spiritual realities setting up that we can get to in a minute. But, but regarding the, uh, the phraseology of economic development, that's a way of saying we are in position to curry favor with both sides in order to expand our economic might, therefore make trouble for the West, uh, scare the U.S., push back is on its heels rather than able to deal with the expansion that we're doing in Asia and around the world. And, and that will mean that, that, uh, that, um, that will mean that, that the, the alleged ability of the local Muslim population to reap the benefits of any intervention economically by China, any infrastructure, any, um, any kind of technological upgrades, all the things that Israel has so profoundly accomplished at, uh, the question remains of whether they would be able to do that in the midst of a kleptocracy or a thieving leadership like Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority. You know, is there any way that it's going to actually benefit the people or are those things going to wind up being the way they've all been? A great example being Israel giving Gaza after 30 years of building uh, hotels and gardens and greenhouses and producing, exporting fruit from Gaza, from a sand dune, reclaiming the desert and exporting fruit and vegetables to Europe uh, in, in a matter of days, having given it over in 2005, it was torn down, the synagogues were destroyed, the, the burial sites were desecrated, and it became a launching, a rocket launching place. If we go back to the 67 borders, which China is supporting, then that will mean that there will be a 23rd Muslim country surrounding Israel, squeezing Israel, and also have the high ground potentially to be able to destroy Israel from uh, military, close-in military range. So it's, um, it 
it's not what it appears to see, it appears to be. China's support is extraordinarily dangerous for Western civilization, starting with Israel, and China's support is absolutely, as you might you know, might expect, absolutely self-serving in terms of expanding their uh, influence around the world, especially through the Muslim world. So it's the same old, same old of uh, saying that you support Israel, but behind the scenes actually being against uh, movement. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the 19th, laying aside the fact that Israel won that militarily, in in, in the real world, that's how that's how you take over different areas. You win it militarily. They won it militarily. Um, they were being attacked from those areas. They acted in defense. It was a preemptive strike, but it was a preemption, knowing that military armies had gathered up on their borders and were prepared for war and said as much. Uh, they made declarations prior to Israel. Israel taking out the air force of the Egyptians. But uh, if you leave all of that to the side and, and how Israel, this would be suicide for Israel to go back to 1967 borders. Um, my question from a very humanitarian point of view would be like, uh, I, I would just ask the question, do we have any Muslim models of society that would say that these areas would be more benefit, would be benefited from such a move? Do we have any Muslim country models that would say that the people would be better off economically, socially, politically, with, uh, medically, educationally? If, would there be any measure to say that we can look at around any of the surrounding Muslim nations uh, around Israel that that Palestine would – if if they went back to the 1967 borders, those pre-1967 areas, if they went into Palestinian hands, would they be better off than if they were under Israeli control? And the answer is overwhelmingly throughout throughout the evidence that we have is, is no. It's a resounding no. They are much better off humanitarianly speaking. If you are just a compassionate person for individuals that have to live in that area and live with that decision, I would think that people would at least point out the humanitarian side of it and say, these people are a lot more wealthy. These people are a lot better off. They get a, a lot higher education. They have the, the, the practice of what we consider to be um, uh, international freedoms and human rights and even animal rights, uh, for that matter, in these areas under Israeli control. And privately, you'll hear that from from uh, garden variety Muslims we have in, in Israel. They'll speak to you privately and say, I uh, had a, one time we were doing television in Israel, and our driver was a very devout Muslim, a Bedouin, and he would pray five times a day and just sweet as pie, nice guy. He said to me privately, uh, Miles, where your people rule, there is there is peace and order. Where my people rule, there is chaos. And he was saying very directly that you were saying right now, which is Israel is a beacon of democratic rule and democratic ideal. It's not, it's not perfect. They make mistakes. There are excesses. There's all this stuff that comes with freedom will be there, but it's exactly the opposite of the, the Sharia dominated, whatever stripe of Sharia whether it's Sunni or, or Shia, the, the Muslim countries around the surrounding, in the surrounding areas are places where there is not freedom or forward motion for the common person. So 
That's why we're seeing what we're seeing right now in Iran, which is related to, it's a resurgence of the Green Movement of 2009, and it's a resurgence of the protests on the part of the people about their absolute um, uh, poverty of spirit regarding what Islam has done to their country and their people. And they want something more, they want something new. And we're seeing that resurgence that, uh, as we're speaking, this weekend, this very time that we're speaking, uh, the Iranian people are in the streets protesting against a Muslim-dominated government that has uh, just brought them devastation by sending all of their economic wealth and all of their economic largesse from the U.S. and the U.N. and the E.U. and all the money that's poured into Iran has gone into funding terror and is not helping them with infrastructure or jobs or economic motion for motion. And this is an ancient culture of brilliant people, the Persian people. And so they're frustrated by the, by the, the, the religious version of what can happen in the atheistic version of a communist country, which is where there is no spiritual freedom to connect with economic and political freedom. And so that's what we're seeing now in Iran again, and we're watching it very carefully. Yeah, I I love the description that you said, uh, you know, wall to wall coverage from the Great Wall of China to the Western Wall of Jerusalem. I I would love to do this on a regular basis, like once a month or once every couple of weeks, something like that, because what you're talking about, I think, is something that is ongoing and our listeners would love to know, and I, I know that they need to know, and there are many people that are wanting to know more information that they're not getting in the news. The behind-the-scenes story that takes place, you know, and not not getting too spiritual about it, but pointing out the spiritual nature. When I say not getting too spiritual, sometimes you can talk about different countries in such a spiritual way that you never address the realities that are on the ground, which is what you are talking about right now as you and I are talking on on this podcast, there are protests that are, are erupting all over Iran. I put up just a really quick map on our website on Back to Jerusalem. I put up a flame in the different cities where there are revivals and there are protests that are taking place. And like you had said, in 2009, there were uh, protests that erupted. This was just before um, what we call the Arab Spring. So the Arab Spring took place a couple years later, but this was kind of a momentum before that point. And the, the major difference between 2009 and now is that the United States, uh, being one of the major government players, uh, remained silent in 2009 did absolutely nothing to aid the protesters and allowed them to be squashed. Now there is um, there is a different administration in the United States and they are highlighting the the right and, and the, the, the grievances of the protesters. These protests are huge and they're taking place. They took place spontaneously. They took place um, uh, in smaller numbers in the very beginning. And like you said, it was about economics, but it has grown because there's been a lot of grievances under the surface. And this is breaking a dam that uh, that has been holding back a wall of grievances where people have just Really, like you said, there's been there's been um, uh, billions of dollars poured into Iran since January of last year. 
uh, from the U.S. and from the EU, but all of that money has been used to allow the the Islamic Republic Army to go and start marching into Iraq and 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 playing games to try to control Iraq. It has gone into uh, operations in Yemen. It has gone into anti-Israeli operations uh, with Hezbollah in Lebanon. And uh, now the people that are outside, this is what I put this up. This, these are direct quotes. I'm going to quote directly from the people. The, the, the protesters were shouting death to Hezbollah. That is, that is a direct quote translation. In the, in one of the cities called Avaz, people chanted death to the dictator. The nation is destitute while the leader is acting like a god. In the city of Isfahan, which uh, Brother Wren, who you've met, um, he actually traveled there uh, about a month and a half ago and did baptisms, uh, baptized several uh, Iranian Muslims who came to Christ, baptized them. Um, and, and just really quick, I got to share this story. I might have shared this with you, but I'm going to share it again for our listeners because this was an amazing story. Uh, Brother Wren was walking in the city of, of, of Isfahan and he got a phone call from somebody in Iran that he had never met. He didn't know who they were. He answered the phone and said, hello. And somebody on the other line said, who is this? Well, Brother Wren was very cautious to answer that because he felt that, you know, he's probably being watched by the Iranian government. And the person on the other end that he had never met began to share and said, I don't know who you are, but God gave me this number and told me to call you. I have been waiting to be baptized for for several years. Uh, could, would it be possible for me to meet with you? Brother Wren was was very skeptical. Of course, I mean, anybody in that situation would be at least a little bit skeptical. But he goes to the location that they set up. He goes to a back alley. He meets with them and begins to go to a private location. Brother Wren doesn't know if he's going to be abducted, kidnapped. You know, he has no clue what's going to happen. It turns out that they go to a place where they share with him their life story and he ends up baptizing him. This, this is in the city of Isfahan, just took place a couple months ago. And the young people there, they were chanting. This is a quote. They chanted, we do not want an Islamic Republic. That is a huge statement. All of these, uh, yeah. uh, protests, these, these, these chants, um, that what they're saying on the street openly is dangerous for, for them. They can be killed and tortured for saying such a yeah. thing. This is bold. These yeah. are very bold moves. And I believe that these are very desperate young people who are sick of the Islamic regime. And that, in my opinion, yeah. is good news for Israel. And Christians, because if we can see a fall, a crack, at least right now, and a fall of the Islamic regime that's been in charge since 1979, I believe we might see a massive revival build on top of the one that's already there. And then we would have a link to our brothers of Ishmael who are surrounding all of Iran and bring the gospel to them as former Muslims. This excites me. Yeah. Yes, it's very exciting. And I think that we see it. And this is where the political, military, economic realities of the headlines meet up with the Bible prophecies, because we 
see in Jeremiah 49 that there will be a revival and some destruction of Iran, Persia, Elam, in, in the ancient languages, that there will be something that happens that is explosive and will send the gospel out around the world. The Iranian believers themselves believe that they will be sent out around the world to also to help back to Jerusalem, China, and every other missions group that's reaching into Islam, that the Iranians themselves will be part of that force. And we see that happening because of what you're calling the crack in the regime's wall, in a sense, because this is a, a population that's almost, uh, what is it, over half of them, under 30 years old. And they are, they are, have enough internet, enough touch with the world, enough understanding what Daniel called the knowledge increasing or becoming connected in new and unprecedented ways, they know that what they're being fed and what their parents have been fed is not what they want. They are looking for love and purpose and meaning. And so the connection with Jesus, the connection with Judeo-Christian values and the Bible and the reality of Jesus Christ is that he brings with him, with his salvation, with his transformation, that would lead someone to boldly ask to be baptized in the face of death, uh, that transformation is the hope of the nation, and they understand that. A couple of years ago, Captain and I were privileged to be on television by satellite into Tehran. And before we went on the air, it was in English and Farsi. We would speak in English, it would translate into Farsi, and people gather around illegal satellite TV sets and illegal, or illegal means every night to hear the gospel preached to them in Farsi, by our brother from Dallas, who's a, a, an Iranian preacher. He would preach the gospel every night. People would gather around their television sets and they basically ask me, what must I do to be saved? Before he went on the air, he said to me, Miles, they'll be listening to your words, but they'll be watching your marriage. And I took that to heart, and God gave me a word to them about being Esther. My Hebrew name is Mordecai. Being Esther and being called out as a royal lineage there's something in Persia, in Iran, that has an, an ancient beauty and an ancient connection with the ways of God and the, and the Jewish people and the history of the Bible. And God is trying to rebuild, redig those wells, and, and it's happening in these young people's hearts. The connection between the spiritual and the physical is that they are looking for that kind of freedom. They're hungry for something that is not the repressive, uh, misogynist ways of radical Islam. Yeah, and you had, in 2009, God had inspired you to to view what was happening in Iran with the protests and, and pray for them. Uh, can you share a little bit about, there's, there is a, 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 a musical video clip that you sent to me uh, called Bride Behind the Veil. Uh, could you share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, that was a real, for me, a confluence of events. For Catherine and me, I, we were watching the news and seeing the protests of what they called the Green Movement at the time, and watching our nation, our country, our government, President Obama specifically, not just ignore or uh, abandon the people in the streets, but go ahead and pro support the anti-freedom movement. In Egypt, it was the Muslim Brotherhood that led to the Arab Spring, so-called, which was, of course, a Muslim winter. And... And in Iran, it was the abandonment, the just abject abandonment of this freedom movement. It was so grievous to me that I, I couldn't get away from it. At the same time, we went to see a movie called The, the Stoning of Soraya M. 
which had in it the actor who played Jesus in Mel Gibson's uh, The Christ. And, and this movie was a true story, based on a true story about a woman caught in radical Islam who wound up being stoned because she was accused of adultery. And that a misogynist view of the women and that protest in the street, that movie, and then finally when a young woman, a brilliant, musical, uh, talented young woman was shot to death by the forces of Iran, the Iranian government that went all over the world in the news. I mean, probably lasted a minute, but for me, it was the third piece of the puzzle that this innocent and, and precious young person that had her whole life in front of her was shot to death in front of her father in the streets of Tehran. I said, okay, that's it. And I was, I wrote a song called The Bride Behind the Veil, had some friends of mine produce it, and I put together a little video. It's pretty rudimentary. But the idea is that it, it, I hope it expresses the yearning on the part of the Iranian people, the Persian people, especially young women, the, the yearning to be free. And I believe, of course, that freedom comes in relationship to Jesus. So that's one of the themes that's in there. But it's got something in it that's political. It's about uh, uh, women's rights. It's about the freedom of the people in Iran. And, and, you know, it's amazing to see right now with our new government in the USA that the Iranian young people are rising up again and saying, we are, we are sick of this Islamic repression and oppression. We want something new. So, yeah. The bride behind the veil. I believe behind the veil of Islam, there's a bride of Christ that is trying to emerge. That's why this partnership between you and me is so important to me, because I know that the Chinese house church movement is bringing the gospel to the Muslims of the world. And as an Orthodox Jewish friend of mine says, either we bring them the Lord or they'll bring us the sword. Mm-hmm. And what's happening in this is that God is, is touching these people. They may not know it's Jesus yet, but this push towards freedom and this push uh, uh, get back against repressive mullahs and tyranny is a it's, it's signpost, it's a signature of freedom that comes from becoming people of faith. So it's very encouraging. Uh, we're in an awesome moment in time. Where can people find that video? Do you have it on your site? I know that it's on YouTube, which might be a little confusing for people to type it in. They can type in Bride Behind the Veil, and then you have Neda I, I in parentheses. Know, We'll link it to our site. I have I never did it, but we will link it to our site, which is MK Hop M K H O P, which stands for Miles and Catherine House of Peace dot org. The reason we chose that name is because we're all about the one new man of Ephesians chapter two. My wife's a Gentile, I'm a Jew. We've been working with the Jews and the Arabs to find peace in Christ, and we've been working with the church and Israel forever. So we're all about reconciliation. So our website shorthand is mkhop.org, and I will have that up in a day or so, and we'll be, people will be able to see it. Right now they can find it on YouTube at Bride Behind the Veil. But we're going to send them to our, we'll bring them to our site so they can see this other information that you and I are sharing as well. Okay, great. So I, I will um, uh, put this podcast up probably in the next day or two. By the time this podcast is listened to by our audience, they will be able to go to mkhop.org dot org mkhop dot org and that's where you will have a 
a link to this uh, Bride Behind the Veil uh, video if people that are listening want to listen to this song that God had given you during 2009 when the protests first erupted. Um, that's been, what, eight years ago. Now we're looking at uh, almost yeah. nine years ago now, and now we're looking at 2018, and it's a different situation. I am excited about what the possibilities we might see in 2018 for the House of Islam in Iran, for the people to be broken free from generational uh, bondage uh, under Islam inside of the the House of Elam. Thank you so much, brother, for joining us again. I really appreciate your insight and the information that you share with us from the Jewish perspective about what is taking place around the world when it um, is about Jerusalem or Israel, and also especially right now with the things that are taking place between the walls. Hey, man. Well, I'm always glad to speak to you, brother, and I look forward to doing it again. All right. God bless you, man. Take it easy. Bye-bye. That is something that I hope that we can continue to do. That is what I uh, have been talking to Miles about, uh, calling it wall-to-wall coverage the, between the wall of Jerusalem and the wall of China. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.